Hello and welcome to Love Thy Lawyer, where we talk to real lawyers about their lives in and out of the practice of law, how they got to be lawyers, and what their experience has been. I'm Lewis Goodman, the host of the show, and yes, I'm a lawyer. Nobody's perfect. He deals with complex civil litigation. That includes commercial, business, and complex family law matters. He has extensive trial and arbitration experience. He is a native Californian, and given that, it is perhaps unsurprising that he's always seen in a great car. Wallace Doolittle, <laughs> welcome to Love Thy Lawyer. Thanks, Lewis. How are you doing today? I'm I'm doing well. I'm really happy to have you on. We've known each other for a while. I've always admired uh, your work, and I've always admired your cars. Oh, thanks so much. Where's your feeling down these days? Where's your office located right now? Twelve sixty. Well, I have offices in San Francisco, Orange County, Chicago, and Hayward, California. But the main office with all of our operations. And pretty much all our files is in Hayward, California. And what type of practice do you have? You know, it, it's. I used to say it's just about anything else that nobody else would touch because it's, you know, usually a Byzantine, difficult, convoluted. Maybe another lawyer has already kind of uh, driven it into a ditch type of case. Usually just I would describe it just generally as complex litigation, and that could include family law do a lot of complex family law cases, about 30% of our practice is family law. Or that could include intellectual property, trade secret, or you know, complex business litigation. Anything where there's a lot to kind of unpack and, and sort out. That's kind of what we How long have you been practicing? I if I I think it's 30 years now. It's hard hard to believe, but yeah, 30 years. Where are you from originally? I was born in LA. I'm a California boy. So I was born in LA. And uh, my parents moved to Northern California when I was quite young and uh, having some of my most formative years in the Monterey Peninsula area. Is that where you went to high school? Yeah, I went to Pacific Grove High School. How was that experience? You know, it was okay for the first couple of years. I was very into sports and I, you know, really enjoyed a lot of success there. But, you know, after a while, the, the pressure and... Just the constant training just wore on me, and I ended up kind of, you know, being a little bit disillusioned with it. And so I left high school early to go to college. So how did you work getting out of high school? Or- I just took the – it wasn't the GED. There was something else called the proficiency exam at the time. I was just done with high school when I was 17, so I just said, okay, I'm taking this exam. See ya. And I went to a community college for a while, and then I went to a state university. Which one? Well, I started out at San Diego State, and it wasn't that crazy about it. So I I packed my bags again and applied to San Francisco State, and that's where I graduated. Do you like being in San Francisco? San Francisco is an amazing place. Um, it has been for a long time. When I moved here in 1981, it was you know, clearly quite different from where, what it is today. The population was actually much less at the time. Money was not as you know gigantic. Tech wasn't really a factor at that point, and uh, it just was an amazing city to get around in as a, as a college student and after being in college. Now, you graduated then from San Francisco State. Did you immediately go to law school, or did you do something? In- you know, I just took about a year off. Maybe call it a gap year if you want, or whatever. I graduated in January 1985 from San Francisco State, and I didn't go to law school until August 1986, 
So I basically worked as a kind of paralegal slash file clerk at a law firm in San Francisco and basically had, you know, kind of had a lot of fun during that. Is that what prompted you to go to law school? You know, there are a couple of things that occurred that kind of convinced me that I I might have that calling. The first one was my sister when I was about 10 years old, when I was arguing with my little brother in in a way that she thought was very lawyerly. (laughs) She just said, Wallace, this is my older sister. She was 14 and I was 10. She said, Wallace, you are going to have to be a lawyer. And that stuck in my head. And then when I was at San Diego State, I befriended a a guy that was in the same apartment complex as I was. And he and I spent a lot of time together, you know, doing writing and comparing our poetry and writing and and just talking about philosophy and, and politics and everything else. And uh, he at one point just said, look, you better go to law school. It's just, it just seems like the perfect place for you. Where did you go to law school? I went to DePaul in Chicago. I ended up in Chicago because I was working as a paralegal. Oh, this all comes back. Remember, we're decades back here. Now I'm starting to remember. I was working as a legal assistant at Sears Mortgage Securities Corporation in their legal department. And so I just applied to all the law schools in the Chicago area. And I got into a number of them, but I chose DePaul as the best one that I got into. And as it turns out, it was a very good school. Well, what did you think about being in law school? Well... Being kind of the cynical type, I didn't really, you know, appreciate the like the Socratic teaching method and all of the typical all of the typical things that we used to read about in One L, I guess, what it was called, or the Paper Chase. I just wasn't into that very much. So, you know, I, I maintain a healthy skepticism of the the whole process. When you graduated from law school, what bar did you decide to take? I took the Illinois bar. And and the California bar. I'm a member in both. Did you take them at, you know, essentially the same time? No, I took the Illinois bar. Um, well, here we're going back to, I can kind of get into this a little bit more. After I graduated from law school, I, I kind of still at the time wanted to, before I jumped into being a lawyer and the, the tremendous responsibilities of being a lawyer, I sp- took a couple of years off and basically played music in a band and played sometimes open open mic, you know, blues jams and stuff in Chicago. And I really at that point thought, you know, I'm not going to waste I'm not going to waste this last these last moments of my youth, you know, slaving in a law firm, so I took a couple more years off and did that. But in 91 and 92 I took the Illinois and then the California bars. And, you know, kind of the, the, the switch was flipped and I got, you know, 1000% into, into my law career. Well, before we get into your law career, being in Chicago and playing the blues, I mean, that's just classic, isn't it? Yeah, it was fun. It's really fun. I mean, there's lots of places where you can just they have an open stage. And I had another friend there who was a guitar player and we would, you know, grab our guitars and go down there. And, and uh, one at a time we'd go up and the band would play, you know, a typical like blues, you know, blues progression. And we would play our blues solos. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. So at some point you decided, okay, I'm going to take the bar exams and I'm going to start practicing law. So what was your first legal job? Well, I did. I did work before I passed the bar in California. I did work as a legal assistant at Richard Idell Law Corporation. And I had worked for Richard before I'd known him since 1983. I'd worked as a file clerk and uh, kind of a gopher 
when I was in college in his firm and for other firms that shared space with him at 611 Front Street, up above the what was at that time the MacArthur Park restaurant. And uh, so I knew Richard. And when I came back from Chicago, Richard hired me immediately as a legal assistant. I passed the bar and he hired me as an associate. And I worked for him for several years. And uh, then I went out on my own. So I worked for Richard Idell and, and he you know, became a mentor of mine and taught me a tremendous amount about litigation, trials, trial techniques. What do you really like about practicing law? You've been doing it for quite a while now. I kind of kind of had to think about that before coming on this podcast because there's a lot to be said about it. I mean, I've done every kind of work that you could possibly imagine. I mean, I always say to myself whenever I'm having a bad day in this business that it beats digging ditches. Well, I literally dig, dug ditches, okay? I worked in construction. I worked doing you know, manual labor. I worked in the in the late shift, washing dishes at the Double Tree when I was seventeen. Done a lot of stuff that's not as fun as practicing. Practicing law is great when, you know, you're kind of in harmony with opposing counsel and judges and clients, and everyone understands that we're here to find a resolution to a problem that that has to be resolved in a civilized way. And and then there's a result that maybe not makes everybody happy. But at least, uh, you know, at least achieve some sort of justice. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. But that's when I know that the practice of law is something that I really appreciate. And that's when I'm helping people. And I see people who are actually helped out of a jam. It's not always the case, though, in this business. Yeah, sometimes things get kind of warlike, don't they? Warlike, but you always have to think of what is this kind of milieu that I'm in. I'm not here in a lawsuit or a divorce representing a party because, you know, that party was completely functional. Okay. Right. Right. (laughs) We, we, they are dysfunctional by definition and they come to us after the dysfunction reaches a chaotic level. And therefore we get a very bad sample of a segment of the society when we, when we represent people in litigation. <laughs> so it kinds to make, it tends to make us somewhat jaundiced, but you know, the, people do really need help. The problem with the practice is, you know, your average person in the United States cannot really afford proper representation. And so a lot of litigation that goes on is really just litigation among people who have uh, the money to afford lawyers. And if you don't have the money to afford lawyers, sometimes you're lost. And it's a very tough system for, for you know, your average person. Would you recommend the law to a young person just thinking about, you know, who's coming out of college and thinking about a career? Kind of reflect on that with people that I know and my ex-wives and partners and talking about where do I want my child to end up? And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, on the fence about that. I, I don't want my kids to have to go through the incredibly difficult work and kind of desperate times trying to find, you know, my place in, you know, in, in, in the economy, you know, ultimately ended up being a lawyer. But, you know, at the same time, that maybe was character building. Maybe it would be character building for them. It's an extremely stressful job where oftentimes a lawyer, and I've heard this from a lot of people, but and I've experienced it firsthand, 
you don't sleep well and you're in the middle of a jury trial where there's a lot at stake, maybe millions of dollars at stake or in the criminal defense context, which I don't do, but criminal defense context could be looking at a lot of time or, you know, a divorce where somebody might be ending up losing, you know, a significant amount of, of very quality time with their children because their partner or ex-partner or ex-wife is planning to move away to a place that's very remote. You know, when you're when you have to deal with these heavy duty things, Sometimes you don't sleep at night and the stress can really get to you. And so that side of it is very difficult. On the other hand, I think that, you know, some people look at lawyers as kind of, uh, you know, akin to, you know, like a chimney sweep or something. They're just cleaning up their messes. But I think that there's still a lot of kind of societal recognition of what it takes to be a lawyer. And there's a certain amount of, I wouldn't want to say prestige, but kind of, you know, reputation that precedes you as a lawyer that is, I think, very positive. So there are many different sides to that question. I'm not quite sure exactly whether I would recommend it or not. And I think if I did, I would do it with plenty of caveats. How is actually practicing met or differed from your expectations? I just thought to myself, I know this is, I, I always try to tell people only partly in jest that there, I don't really have any other skills. So... So it was pretty much inevitable that I was going to go into this, into this profession. And, you know, therefore my expectation level wasn't really there. You kind of touched on this a little earlier, but what about the business of practicing law? What about the way that aspect of the practice has gone for you? Yeah. So that, that can actually be difficult. I don't find it difficult now, but it took me a long time to really learn how to do it most efficiently within my skill set, within the structure of, you know, kind of where my sweet spot is. It's difficult sometimes when you have a practice that's as active as mine, but I think I've leveraged it properly with the with the right software and the right systems that suit my capabilities. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to the business of practicing law. I think that, at least for myself, you know, it's been an evolving situation. I, I can't say that I do everything the way I always did it. I'm sure that I will change the things that I do now as we move into the future. And as you say, there's just been this enormous change in technology since you and I began practicing. And I think that any firm that doesn't evolve with some of that technology is going to be left behind. Yeah. I mean, email did not exist when you and I started practicing. Right. The fax machine was the main way that we tried to leverage technology, which seems kind of ridiculous now. What do you think is the best advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh, I never really listened to advice very well. So I looked at that question, too. And, you know, I think that when when Richard and I were practicing together in, in the kind of mid-90s, and I was going to court with him a lot, and... You know, he got me in to try my first case in 94, and, you know, it took off from there. Basically, everything he told me in those days, and I can't think of one piece of advice that really those experiences are invaluable. If you don't work with someone closely who has, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 years of experience in this business, and, you know, I think you're missing out. There's just so many little um, details along the way that you can only 
learn side by side with somebody with that kind of experience. And I think that I probably got a hundred thousand pieces of advice from Richard and that ended up being tremendously beneficial to my career. What advice would you give to a young lawyer just starting out? Well, you know, work hard, you know, don't worry too much about, you know, where you are right now. Learn all of your skills, learn all of your tools, you know, find somebody who has been doing this for a while and watch what they do and do what they do. If they're successful, you're going to learn from them and you're going to end up, you're going to end up going somewhere yourself. I think those, that's good advice. Do you think that the legal system's fair? Absolutely not. I think it's terribly unfair. I think that it's very money driven. I think that there are people with, you know, the ability to hire lawyers who really can just squash other people. And I think that the some people are suffering some true injustices in our in our legal system at the criminal level. I think it's a it's a travesty what I you know, and I don't want to get into the whole politics of, you know, incarceration and, you know, people get pulled in on warrants and they get stuck in an endless carousel of the system. I, I mean, I don't want to get into the political side of that, but that's a terribly unfair aspect. I think in civil litigation, only big money players can play, and it's kind of a game of elites. But I do see judges who make a huge effort to you know, try to ensure fairness in their courtrooms. What sort of things do you do to try and keep your sanity as a practicing lawyer in terms of <laughs> recreation? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to make sure that I get out and ride my bike as much as possible. You know, try to get some endorphins going. Otherwise, the anxiety takes over. I also play music. I play and record music. And uh, I'm sitting right now talking to you from my recording studio here in my house. My wife is an extremely talented singer. And so we're working on several recordings right now. And that's really gets you out completely out of the headspace of being a lawyer. Have you had any travel experience? Yeah, I've been to 26 countries. That's one of the things that I would say that being a lawyer has allowed me to do is the freedom to and you know the ability to afford that kind of travel. And so I've been to a lot of places. I can't say I've been all over the world, but I've been, you know, been everywhere that I could think of that I wanted to go in the Northern Hemisphere. Now I have to start working on the Southern Hemisphere. Let's say you came into some real money, a few billion dollars. What, if anything, would you change in the way you live your life? Oh, my God. Five billion dollars. That's funny. Well, first of all, I don't think you need anything after the first hundred million, probably. So I don't know. I'd have to check in with my wife before I decided this, but. If I had $5 billion, I probably would give at least $4.5 billion away. The rest of the money I would spend on a couple of nice places near the water and a, maybe a you know, very nice fishing boat and you know, a couple of houses, both with recording studios in them. And then I would travel and come back there and record my music and ride my bike and go fishing, and that's about it. Let's say you had 60-second Super Bowl commercial. What do you think you would want to say to the world? It would definitely be a public service announcement for vaccine. This has been an extremely difficult year and a half for me and my family and for everyone else that I can think of. And every time I turn around, I meet somebody who has just been uh, terribly impacted by the the pandemic. I have a a child who's going into fifth grade. She's basically been, you know, she's had two play dates in a year and a half, but she actually was in person with with her friends. 
And so I can't get unstuck from the pandemic. Wallace Doolittle, thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Thy Lawyer podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, Lewis, thanks for having me. And I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you about these issues. And the one good thing about it is it really made me think more about some of it. And that's a good thing. That's it for today's episode of Love Thy Lawyer. If you enjoyed listening, please share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast. If you have comments or suggestions, send me an email. I promise I'll respond. Take a look at our website at lovethylawyer.com, where you can find all of our episodes, transcripts, photographs, and information. Thanks, as always, to my guests who share their wisdom. And to Joel Katz for music, Brian Matheson for technical support, and Tracy Harvey. I'm Lewis Goodman. You know, it's interesting. You know, I that's the, I actually looked at that question ahead of time. That's why I send these questions out is so so that you you really can look at it. Heard about that.